This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast, where Liverpool are remaining uh, in their summer holidays, but there's plenty going on to discuss uh, the ongoings of uh, the summer and everything that comes from that. It's James Martin and Matt Addison with myself, Dan Morgan. Uh, the Euros are on. We're all getting stuck into those. They're, they're good. They're providing some good games, as we know. Um, there's a little bit of Liverpool chat around that. And then there's other things. Obviously, the fixtures were released this morning when uh, when we're recording this. Liverpool will open the season to Norwich away. Um, they have a tough fixture list around Christmas, which we wrote a piece on Liverpool.com that you can check out. And in general, um, James, it just seems that uh, it's a it's a very manageable and and decent fixture list for Jurgen Klopp. Apart from that, that run of tough fixtures around the Christmas period. Yeah, it's not panned out badly at all. I mean, Norwich is the first game doesn't leave us too long to get a Suarez return deal over the line. But um, but other than that, yeah, no, don't don't mind the look of it at all. Well, it feels like content that. Let's discuss that after, <laughs> discuss that after the pod. Um, the ones that stick out, Matt, are the the Man City and Chelsea fixtures uh, and Manchester United fixtures, and then the the derby, obviously. So, you know, when you look at it, I'll just get them up now for when they are. Um, City at home, second of October, away 29th of April. That away game could be could be interesting. Uh, United 23rd of April, uh, 23rd of October away, 19th of March at home. So, bit of disparity between them in terms of being opposite ends of the the fixture list. Um, first derby, which looks like a Monday night, or definitely a midweek, um, which will be interesting. So yeah, I mean, in terms of the the, the go-to fixtures, um, what do you make of where they are, where they're where they're scattered around? Yeah, it's quite spread out, isn't it? Which I quite like. I think the the Manchester City ones are the ones that I've got my eye on. I expect Liverpool to be right up there and, and challenging, and I think they'll be the ones to challenge if Liverpool are going to win the Premier League. And I think it's interesting where they've fallen in terms of. I think it's the seventh game in that Liverpool play. Man City at Anfield. So you look at the first six fixtures for, for Liverpool and for City, Liverpool's slightly easier, I think, on paper, it's fair to say. So fingers crossed, Liverpool can sort of get themselves into a position similar to what they did a couple of years ago, where they went into that game, I think, slightly in front, beat them and made that gap a little bit larger. And that sort of set Liverpool up, I think, for, for the rest of, of that season. So I think that'll be important. And I think you know the, the reverse fixture, I think, is the seventh to last game again obviously different fixtures to come after that. But I think those are, are the two that, that really stick out to me in terms of sort of a, a title challenge and, and stuff like that. I think Liverpool are going to have to certainly do something, at least put in a performance in that first one and, and hopefully get themselves a victory. But I think the, the second one, just the timing of it in terms of that run. And I think that, fingers crossed, will feel absolutely massive because that will mean that Liverpool are in with a chance. Yeah, Christmas, James, uh, as we've discussed, from the 11th of December, Aston Villa at home, Newcastle United away, Tottenham, uh, no, Newcastle United at home, sorry, Tottenham away, Leeds United at home, Leicester away, and then Chelsea away. Um, those those fixtures are ones where, you know, you could honestly say now that they would have a, or could have a defining impact on Liverpool's season. Um, that period of of time in the calendar and fixture calendar is one in which Jurgen Klopp, as we know, has a good eye on um, every season in terms of he wants to 
condition his teams to be motoring around that time. Obviously, last season there were other factors which meant that couldn't happen as well. But you know, he's going to have a look at those fixtures, isn't he? When he when he gets the fixture list this morning, and he's going to review mark those to say, you know, they're big. And if there's ever you know a year to be to be qualified early in the group stages of the Champions League, for example, this is it because of those. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, you mentioned last season. Even then, like Liverpool would they limp through to top and uh, at New Year. I mean, yeah, they didn't they didn't lose in that period. They they had a couple of dodgy draws, which I think there was West Brom in there, Fulham, and maybe Newcastle. But like they, they still went unbeaten, uh, which given the the struggles at the time, it is quite a feat. And yeah, if you go back further, like you say, Klopp definitely has that kind of handle on the busy period, even though he's often one to to complain about it in terms of just the the congestion, the effect on the players. It's, it does seem to be a time where he, where he excels. So, yeah, it's a good time to have the tough fixtures, but but Leeds in there is a killer. Like It's such an intense game every time to have that on Boxing Day and then have to go to Leicester two days later. Uh, surely something's got to give around them. But but yeah, it's, 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 it's a testing time, but hopefully reason to be optimistic when you look at, at past form there. I mean, on the flip side, it is hilarious that Liverpool are at home again on Boxing Day. Um, for what seems like the hundredth consecutive year, um, so yeah, our, our uh, blue neighbours surely won't be happy uh, about about that fact once again taking uh, taking presence. So we're not here to actually talk about the fixtures throughout the the show. We want to talk about uh, and focus the show uh, in and around the squad and look internally at Liverpool's squad. And what I've decided to do this week. Is to break the squad down into four groups, and we're going to discuss each group individually. Um, you know, it's a time of year, Matt, that everybody sort of looks looks out and looks externally in um, at what Liverpool and, and their own teams can do to get people in and to bolster the squads. But when you actually look into Liverpool's squad and, and you break it down into these four groups, it shows you that Klopp and his team have got a few decisions to make this summer um, beyond the basic ones and. I'll start with the, the youth group, I've called them, which is uh, the Williamses, Nico and Reese, uh, Curtis Jones, uh, Kim Callagher and Harvey Elliott. Now, I think the first thing with these is, I think, asking the question of realistically, and they'll probably be asking it themselves, you know, how much game time are they going to be afforded? What is their role within the squad? And, you know, how much of a part realistically can each of those players play next season? And I get that there'll be different players and different merits um, and different contexts attached. But just as a group, how do you rate the prospects? I think there's kind of a split in that group, I think, for me. I think Curtis Jones is obviously going to stick about. I think Harvey Elliott is probably in the same boat just because I think the idea was for him to, to stick around last season. It was only when the opportunity came up for him to go to Blackburn that was kind of an obvious thing for, for him to do. It sort of fitted perfectly. Unless something like that came up but at Premier League level this season, I'd be surprised if they let him go. And I think the same really for, for Nico Williams. I think... If they were to let him go, you'd then have to, to bring in somebody else. I think it's more beneficial for Liverpool just to, to sort of keep hold of him. I think the interesting one in terms of, of who's likely to go out is, is probably Rhys Williams. I think out of all of them, he's by far and away the most likely to go out and, and get a loan. And then it's kind of a decision of, of where you take him. Obviously, we know it's famous now that he's been out and been there for, for Kidderminster for a season stepped up to the Champions League. I think it's it's realistic that somewhere in the Championship would probably 
be the right sort of level for, for him to go out and, and get regular game time next season. And then that just leaves the goalkeeper, Kelleher. We know that, that Adrian signed his new contract earlier this week, but Kelleher, by all accounts, is the number two goalkeeper still. That will still remain the case next season. So I think I'd be of a mind to, to keep him as well, not least because, you know, Alison Becker's injury record isn't particularly brilliant for a goalkeeper. He does miss a few more matches than you might think. I just think for, for him, there'll be opportunities to play. And I think it's kind of a decision almost for Kelleher's career. What does he want to be? Does he want to go and, and be a number one choice? And I think he can certainly do that in the Championship, probably the lower end of the Premier League as well. Or does he just want to, to be Liverpool's number two, come in and, and play the cup games and, and things like that? So I think for, for him, it's more of a career decision. I think for Jones, Elliot and Nico Williams, that decision will kind of be taken for them. And for Reese Williams, I think it's a fairly obvious one that he should go out as well because... You know, barring a similar freak situation to last season, I can't really see him getting too many minutes. There's a, there's a really interesting uh, Pep Linders quote a few weeks back, or it might be even a few months back now, James, from from him on Harvey Elliott, where he, he references how much he misses him around training. And he talks about how how much he loved working with him on, on the training pitch and how much he was always, you know, sort of constantly willing to learn and was like a sponge in terms of the the information you give me that absorb and absorb and absorb. And I think there's something in that with these players, you know, when when we can blindly sometimes say, you know, just get them alone and assume it's the best thing for them. You've got to think of the education they're getting. You know, at Kirby around players like Thiago, around players like, you know, Roberto Firmino, consummate winners who who are also in terms of the day-to-day, you know, the tactically supreme, they show you things on a training pitch. Again, Elliot's reference for me, you know, on the training pitch is just being absolutely next level and someone who he's in awe of. So, you know, that education at Liverpool shouldn't be discounted in any way for these boys, should it? No, not at all. I mean, there are certain clubs where you look at them, you look at their profile and you think, okay, that's the perfect loan destination. But they're, they're few and far between. So obviously every team plays their own unique style. So the best Liverpool can really hope for is loans to the likes of Southampton. So you look at what they tried to do with Minamino. Ultimately, you know, it wasn't a roaring success, even though he, he showed some promise. But but most of the time, the loans that are going out, particularly for the younger players, they're just sort of generic championship teams. Obviously, some due diligence has gone in to see, you know, which club would be the best fit for a player. But it's not as if they're sort of carbon copies of Liverpool. So, yeah, there's benefits to a loan. It's, it's invaluable to get that kind of, senior game time of course and it's going to stand people like Elliot in good stead but whether it's that much more beneficial than like you say being in and around the squad sort of having the the Klopp and, and the Linders tactics drilled into them especially with with them literally flagging Elliot up as someone who's been very receptive to that kind of treatment so yeah you look at it and you think that there's no guarantee that the loan move is going to be any better for their development than, than keeping them around even if as we touched upon earlier their game time is still going to be somewhat limited I think what's interesting as well James is when you look at them and you know again you can take them in their own context but you can argue that maybe Jones apart really because he's already established but you can argue that all of them are only really one injury away from being starting games from Liverpool Um, and that's when you look at it in that sense the value is actually more increased then. Liverpool don't have a a rich squad and they don't have the healthiest squad in terms of injuries right now. And heading into next season, you know, we just discussed the fixtures, they're gonna to have to start quick. 
they're going to have to start on the front foot. I think if you're any of those boys, you'd be saying, well, one injury here and I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd say Reese Williams aside, given that he's probably about four injuries away at this point, uh, with, with Canate coming in and then Van Dyke, Matip, Gomez all coming back. Maybe, yeah. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it's definitely, particularly the case of Nico Williams, because you look at him and he's definitely a big question mark player among the Liverpool fans, seems to divide divide the fan base quite a lot. But regardless of where you stand on how much potential he has, the fact is, if Trent gets injured, then he has to step up. Unless we're looking at moving Fabinho again or playing a, what, 34, 35-year-old Milner, neither of which are ideal. Surely you'd rather play that kind of, at least stylistically similar, right back in there with with Nico. So, so yeah, that they are going to be looking at it thinking, OK, I'm probably not going to be first choice because we're looking at a team who have been Premier League and Champions League champions in the last three seasons. It's not easy to just waltz into the team. But equally, none of them, as I say, except maybe Reese Williams, are that far away, which has to be a source of encouragement. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think as well, Matt, I think that, I think the thing to reference on this is just finally, you know, you, you look at the, the broader picture of certainly the Premier League this summer. I think there'll be a lot of a lot of clubs who will have the the attitude of, well, we've already got enough to sort. You know, they won't want to create problems for themselves. Getting rid of Nico Williams, for example, means that you're probably going to have to buy a right-back. But when you've already got two or three, four or five other priorities that you need to attend to in the season or in the summer, then that's a difficult one. You know, you look at Crystal Palace, for example, they've got about 14 players out of contract. So, sort of not creating more problems for yourself, I guess, is a plus point for these young, young lads because they can they can stick around and be an option and they can ensure that by virtue of, of again, Nico Williams just being at the club, Liverpool don't have, you know, a huge problem potentially at right back should Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold get injured. Yeah, I think Nico is is the obvious sort of example of that in terms of, of Trent and they're not really being anybody else. But I think you could kind of say that for, for Kelleher as well. Would you be completely comfortable if Alisson was out for two or three months? Say, would you be comfortable with Adrian playing every single game? I'm pretty sure a lot of people, for, for them, the answer would probably be no for that. And I suppose you could say it for Harvey Elliott as well. I mean, we're talking about possibly, you know, a Minamino, a Rigi, Shakiri, possibly moving on. I'm sure we'll sort of touch on those guys later. But if you're sort of letting two, possibly even three of those players go, you are going to have to bring at least one, maybe two in. And if, you know, Harvey Elliott can be one of those, again, it, it's just one less thing on the to-do list for Liverpool. As, you know, we, we sort of touched on there. There's, there's so many things. That it's not just transfers either. It's it's contracts. It's It's all of that sort of thing. And I think if you can just make life a little bit easier for yourself, you, you probably would do that. And it's not as if by making that life easier, you're making life harder for these youngsters. I'm sure, you know, if you'd have said to Harvey Elliott, do you want to go out on loan last season? He'd probably say yes. But equally, if you could have guaranteed him a few games at Liverpool, I'm sure he would have been happy with that as well. Yeah, we'll move on to the next group who I've coined the not going anywhere group. So within that, there's the front four, there's both fullbacks. Um, there's injured a new centre-back, so Virgil van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Joao Matip, Ibrahim Konate, uh, all goalkeepers, as we know now, Adrian signed the deal. And I put uh, Jordan Henderson, James Milner, Thiago and Fabinho in there. Um, are they all fair? First and foremost, James, I think, is, is the question. You know, I think we're right in saying that there's no 
there's no question marks about any of those. And not just from a, a Liverpool importance point of view, but you know, we wrote a piece yesterday on, on Raheem Sterling um and just looking at his situation and you know the the broad reality is for anybody who might be looking elsewhere this summer is if you're at Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United or Manchester City, there isn't a lot of places you can go. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's been exacerbated by the pandemic as well, in the sense that even some of the bigger clubs abroad have felt the impact of it harder than than the top English clubs. So some of the obvious destinations straight off the bat, they're just not possible anymore. And you look at Barcelona just trying to hoover up all the free agents in Europe at the moment. You look at Real Madrid, they're not in the position that they have been in the past to sort of assemble another Galacticos squad. So really, it's just as long as you can fend off any interest from maybe PSG and Bayern, um, then then no one's going anywhere, really. You know, there's not going to be a situation where Liverpool would sell any of those not going anywhere players to a to a domestic rival, you would have thought. So, yeah, as as we pointed out in the Sterling piece, there's just very limited places for these for these top players to go. So, so yeah, I think it is a fair group that that you've put together. Maybe in a in a non pandemic year, it might have been a case that you look to move one of the big names on and refresh the squad with a Sancho or someone. But those plans have had to be shelled if ever they existed so so yeah it's that that same core group will be going into the new season without much of a doubt i guess just the concept of you know in an alternative reality a normal reality that we were used to before whether or not liverpool would have moved them on i mean the question now is is where that leaves them and liverpool you know a lot of these players fall into the the 2023 you know contract apocalypse um, group that we've we've referenced before on this podcast, and there's already talk about Allison and, and Fabinho getting deals this summer. But you know, Mohamed Salah turned 29 yesterday. Um, Virgil Van Dijk, the same age. Jordan Henderson will be 31 this month, I think. So, what are your ideas? Um, there's there's question marks here around what Liverpool do with them that will or can be left for a season, but you would imagine this conversation come next summer will be a lot more sort of urgent and there'll be a lot more required answers around them. Yeah, I think so. I think in terms of, of those who are sort of 2023, I think we're starting to see those, you know, taking priority. I know Paul Gorst at the FO has reported that, you know, there's a long line of, of contracts that Liverpool will look at this summer, but even, you know, some of those on that list are for kind of the year after as well. Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, they're both on the list for 2024 contract expirations, but they're going to sort of be on that list of, of being, you know, given improved terms now to kind of get ahead a little bit of that problem. I think in terms of, of the ones who are kind of more got question marks over them, it's it's kind of more a, a Firmino, Mane, Henderson sort of situation, as you say, you know, they're not on that priority list as far as we're aware for for talks this summer. You'd imagine talks would come at some point for those players because, you know, they are going to be very costly to to replace. They're all, you know, hugely influential parts of the squad when they're, they're fit and, and fully ready. But there is that question at the back of your mind. I think Jordan Henderson is, is probably one that isn't a priority because it's fairly obvious that he'd want to stick around. There's not going to be a huge amount of negotiation that would need doing there, I wouldn't have thought. I think you can kind of see him taking on the James Milner role at some point. And I'm sure, you know, there's kind of a 
a thing within his contract, you know, starting to, to look ahead to, to what does he want to do in the future. If he wants to become a coach, for example, in a few years' time, possibly that's something that you could think about when you start to renew these things. But uh, yeah, Mane and, and Firmino, I think at some point the conversation will be had, but it's a question for Liverpool of that value. I mean, we kind of touched on it in terms of the to-do list and, and not giving yourself an extra job. It, it kind of ties in a little bit with that and a little bit in terms of, of the value. I mean, if you were to let Sadio Mane go and, and didn't offer him a new contract, well, are you actually saving any money? I'm not convinced that you necessarily would be because obviously to replace Sadio Mane is going to cost a huge amount to, to sort of do that. So lots of questions to be answered. I think some of them sort of take care of themselves. Salah, Van Dijk, pretty obvious that you want to stick um, a new deal for, for them down. But yeah, for the others, there's kind of a little bit of a question mark, I think. Yeah, I mean, if we look at it then, they're, they're not going anywhere this this summer, James. You know, we, we then need to look at their importance. And, you know, I think I think it's not it's not unrealistic to say that, you know, players like Sadio Mane could come back and have, you know, a peak Liverpool season at the age he's at. You know, 29 is is peak age, let's not forget that. So Liverpool should be enjoying the fruits of these players at their at their best age. You know, if if they're gonna keep them, if they're gonna, you know, worry about things like futures and contracts and stuff later on with a lot of them, then you know the, the priority for everyone should be let's let's sort of maximize this moment and and get the best out of the best years of our career here. Yeah, and I think that's definitely the mindset Klopp will be taking as well. He's not one to sort of concern himself with looking ahead like oh they're all out of contract in 2023 so let's look at phasing them out I mean you look at how he handled the junior by Naldum situation he was playing as a regular right the way through to the end Klopp is very much looking at the kind of footballing side of things and that requires putting your best players out um, as long as they're all still prepared to put in 100% then they will be playing and like you say they're at that age where we could see their best form still which is I mean it's a scary thought particularly with the likes of Salah who we've seen such ridiculous things from already to, to imagine him kicking on even further is well it would it would help the league push no end but um but yeah we have we've, I mean, we've written before about how burnout was a big part of last season how it could affect the start of this season and and that is something to be mindful of but hopefully with with a slightly more normal campaign now slightly less covid impacted we will be looking at players back to a more standard workload and hopefully with the likes of Sergio Mane, who's had that kind of inexplicable drop-off, it turns out that the explanation all along was was just the accumulation of minutes. And when it returns to normality, we see the best of those players again. So, so yeah, there's definitely reason to be optimistic that that we can see the kind of the Mane and Firmino of old in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the third group that we've got, Matt, is the Get Rig group. Um Obviously, that's a bit harsh on the lads, but, you know, we are where we are. Uh, that includes Harry Wilson, Marco Gruich, Jaden Shakiri, uh, Divock Origi, Camille Grabara, Shea Ojo, Lodis Karius, and Ben Woodburn. Um, I think that, look, I think the, the first thing here is these lads have just got to get off the books, haven't they? Yeah, I think there's there's got to be... An acceptance, I think, from Liverpool that you're not maybe going to get the fees for all of these players that you once were. I think the time to get £20 million, for example, for Harry Wilson has probably passed. I think if you were going to get that, it probably would have been last summer. 
but then COVID comes in and, and all the rest of it. He's obviously spent a decent season at Cardiff in the Championship, but I think there's got to be a kind of acceptance that Liverpool can't just keep squeezing ridiculous money for Brewster, for Solanke and all of these types of players. You're not going to be able to, to necessarily sort of get that on these players. And I think the time has come for Harry Wilson. I think he's 24 now. It kind of goes under the radar, I think, a little bit of just how far into his career he is. I think last summer probably would have been the time to get a permanent move, but if not last summer, certainly this one. And you'd be surprised if there's any chance of of him having a Liverpool future at, at that sort of age. So I think he's a talented player. I think there's definitely, you know, a Premier League move in there for him. But, you know, whether you're looking at, at anything, possibly not even to, to 15 million, you know, I think Liverpool just have to to come to an acceptance on that. And I think you can kind of say that for a few of those players. I think, you know, the, the money that you get for, for Woodburn, Carrius, definitely Ojo and Grubara is going to be very, very minimal. I think Loris Carrius's contract is up next season. So it's kind of just get as much as you can before you lose him for nothing. And even with Gruwich and, and Shakiri, I think they kind of fall into the same sort of categories as Harry Wilson. Just get as much as you can for them because, you know, even if their value has fallen to this point, it's not going to get back up again realistically, I don't think. So possibly Marco Gruwich is maybe the most that you could get out of, of those players. He's had an okay season at Porto, but again, there's kind of rumours at the moment that maybe Hertha Berlin might come in for sort of 12 million euros or so. I think Liverpool would want a little bit more than that for him, but we just don't quite know at this moment in time what the benchmark is. I think once we start to see one or two transfer deals take place, you can then kind of start to assess what's fair and, and what's not fair for these players. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The interesting one on that list for me, James, is Njikiri. I don't know who buys him. And I don't know I don't know who sees the value in him. Um, even for a ten million punt. You know, and, and, and he's undeniably gifted. He's undeniably talented. Uh, he's undeniably beneficial in many aspects. But when we talk about value and when we talk about, I think, some of the bargains that you can probably get this summer as a result of everyone just needing to sort the house out a little bit, I think Shakiri is one who seems to fall down the list. I mean, even when you look at Origi, I think you can make a really good argument that West Ham United should buy Origi, for instance. And then you can break that down as to why. But, you know, I think that Shakiri's one, and Liverpool don't have many of them, who just represents that that situation where you might come a little unstuck. And by the way, let's not forget, Liverpool bought him because he was on a £13 million buyout from Stoke. And it was a it was a deal which suited everyone at the time. And Liverpool, I guess, were fully aware that they might end up in this situation with him. But he's one for me who... I just look at it and think, I'm not sure where you go and I'm not sure who is sort of committed enough to taking you. Yeah, it's really difficult because I think of that list that you've put together, he's probably technically the best player on it. So to say that he's the one we'd have the most trouble shifting seems strange. But yeah, you are right. You look at things like the 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 age factor, for example, he's approaching 30. So it's not someone who is an obvious contender for, yeah, let's get him in and build around him, which is kind of what's needed if you're going to sort of get the best out of him. So, yeah, it, it may be one where where Liverpool sort of put the name out there, but equally it is it is a situation where if you are kind of stuck with him, to put it harshly, it's not the worst situation to be in. 
it does take up some space on the wage bill, but you know, the odd game here and there, there's nothing to say that he can't make a difference. Klopp was sort of experimenting with him almost at centre mid at times last season when he did get minutes, which suggests that he's kind of looking to the future. Seems like an odd thing to do if you're thinking I'll I'll definitely be getting rid of him this summer to try and give him a new position within that time. Um the trouble is he's just yeah, he's such a unique player. He's not he's not a stylistic fit with Liverpool naturally. It, and like you say, of the sort of potential destinations, there aren't that many either where you think they're crying out for a Shakiri. If I had to pick someone, maybe, maybe like a Watford, just one of those kind of newly promoted or lower down Premier League clubs who who need that kind of talisman talent in there who can almost drag them to safety. But but yeah, it's it's not an easy one to accommodate because he does need to play a very specific role, almost like he does for Switzerland on the international stage. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I've got uh, an issue around two things, Matt. And the first is, you know, Liverpool want bodies around pre-season. They want players just to be present so that they can take part in training, keep training levels up, to have enough people that they need to fulfil the, the pre-season needs. That's going to be the case again this summer because players will come back staggered from the Euros and the Copa America. Um, and the other thing is, I would say Liverpool wouldn't be massively dependent on transfer funds coming in from those players. So I guess we might have to be a little bit patient with these guys and just see where the land lies with most of them still come sort of the end of August and see what happens then. Yeah, I think that's that's the interesting thing, isn't it? It's that knock-on effect of what the Liverpool do in the transfer market, I think is massively impacted by who they can get out and how much they can get for them. I think it's partly in terms of funding these moves, certainly looking at you know a potential extra attacker similar to what they did with Jota last summer. I think that probably will happen, but I don't think it happens until they can be fairly sure that Shakiri, Wilson, possibly one or two others, Origi probably, has moved on first. I think you know one thing is is dependent on the other, and that does mean that they will have to to wait a little bit as well. So, yeah, I think it, it's kind of in two ways. I think it's in terms of the number of bodies, but in terms of of the valuations, can they get that money in? Can they get what they want for these players, and and will that impact then what they can afford to bring in in terms of additional players? I mean, I think we've all made clear that we'd quite like to to see a replacement for Genio and Alden come in, but the line from the club at the moment seems to be that. They're not necessarily prioritising a midfielder. I think to me that kind of is more a case of they're prioritising getting rid of a few players first and then they might come back and, and look at it at, at some point further down the line. But yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because it's not easy to, to get rid of all of those players. I think there's, there's a long list of players. There's still a sort of uncertain group that we're going to come on to very shortly as well. I mean, the number of players who could leave does sort of add up pretty quickly and it's partly in terms of you know just getting those deals and getting the money and doing the negotiations, but it's also in terms of of balancing, as you say, that the number of bodies in that squad in particular areas. I think it's a bit of a balancing act. I know for sure that Jurgen Klopp would just like to to do all of the transfer business first, get all of the players in, and then sort of sort the rest of it out afterwards. But I just don't think that can be the case this summer. I think it is obviously with Conate already being in, but I think that's kind of a, a special situation. We all know what happened last season but yeah any more additions I would imagine are probably pretty much predicated on on what happens in terms of outgoings and that last group is the uncertain group 
James, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, Naby Keita, Ben Davis, Nath Phillips, Costas Chimikas, and Takumi Minamino. Now you can argue that maybe uh, Phillips and Chimikas don't necessarily deserve to be in there, but there is a, a degree of a question mark, I think it's fair to say, uh, around them in terms of this summer and beyond. I mean, the thing that jumps out to me here with all of them is the things that we don't know. And there are, there are a lot of things that go on at Liverpool that we don't know. I would be tempted to say the majority of things we are, you know, in a general sense, not just us here at, at Blood Red or, or <laughs> Liverpool.com guessing at. Um, but you would imagine there needs to be a degree of trust here on both sides when it comes to these players. You know, if you're Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, say, you need to trust that you're going to get more opportunities than you did last season. If you're Jürgen Klopp, you need to trust that, you know, if you, you keep holding Takumi Minamino, he's going to give you something more than what, obviously, you wanted from him last season. So, the trust element is massive and I think it's it's especially prevalent around the likes of Chamberlain and Keita. Yeah, definitely. And I think that trust is sort of helped by the fact that Klopp can point to some some hard facts to, to back it up. It's not like a blind trust he's asking for. You can look at lots of players who have been eased in slowly at Liverpool and then gone on to have good careers in the Klopp era. I mean, I think it was Fabinho who barely played for the first few months and now he's integral, of course. And then equally, in terms of the business that's already been conducted this summer, you can look, you can get catering, you can get Oxlade Chamberlain into the office and say, look, Gina Wijnaldum's gone. He played a part in 38, all 38 league games last season. So, I'm going to need to rely on you guys more. And that's something which it makes logical sense. And and yeah, it's it does rely on a degree of trust, but but like I say, not blind trust in that regard. So yeah, I think from the player's perspective, they'll be looking at it thinking, there is still time here for me to, to salvage the Liverpool career. Yeah, I think just on that, I think, the, I think the other thing as well is the manager can say and put across is that he had to build a wall around centre-back last season. And that clearly meant that he had certain players who he felt were suitable to protect the centre-backs as far as sort of midfield positions went. Um, and that whenever he he did sort of experiment with that, like the Southampton away, Real Madrid away, you could see how quickly it unravelled and how quickly and keen he was to sort of not repeat it. Um, but Matt, in, in terms of these guys, you know, Again, they all have a variance of context that is applicable to them, that is separate to each other. I mean, do you think that the manager will be quite relaxed about all of them in their own sort of space and just be saying, well, you know, I'm happy to use them, I'm happy to keep them around, but you know, if maybe an offer was to come in for, for Nat Phillips, for example, we, we take it on its merits or Minamino in that case? Yeah, I think so. I think for, for all of those players on that list, that's the case, apart from probably Simikas. I think, yeah, I think so too, yeah. I think in terms of, of what we were saying about the to-do list, if you let him go, you've then got yeah. to do an extra one to, to get another left back in. So I think for him, that that's pretty obvious that I think he will probably stay unless a ridiculous offer came in that you couldn't turn down. I think I'd probably have him as the safest one out of, of all of them. But I think for, for Chamberlain, Cater, Davis, Phillips and Minamino, it's just a case of, of looking at each offer as it comes in, as you say, on, on its own merits. I think there is a 
point at which you would probably let Naby Keita leave. I'd be reluctant to do it for less than sort of 25, 30 million. But if somebody was to come to the table with that sort of money, could you really afford to say no? I'm not 100% sure that you could with, you know, a couple of years left on his contracts, the injury record, you know, each year he's played less and less for Liverpool. Is there sort of enough of a pattern there to think that that trend might continue? Quite possibly there is. I think the the same really for, for Oxlade-Chamberlain. I think Jurgen Klopp would be more than happy to keep him about. He's obviously a very popular character within the dressing room. He's you know, offers you know plenty when he is fit and, and firing. But there's a bit of me that thinks again, if there was an offer, possibly at a 25 million or, or something, to be put on the table from someone, say a West Ham, a Southampton, someone like that. If one of these teams did come in and, and put that money down again. I think it might just be a little bit too much to to sort of say no to. But unless a big offer comes in for, for any of those players, I think they're kind of ones that you'd be happy enough if they stuck about. I mean, even if you got to, say, January and maybe the impact of COVID, maybe fans are back, maybe a few other clubs have got a little bit more money to spend, there's a bit more certainty about the future. Maybe clubs would be more sort of willing to, to take a gamble in terms of, of signing a player in January rather than the summer. I think there's there's going to be opportunities for all of these players to move on at some point if they want to. But uh, yeah, it, it's just a case for me, apart from Simicas, of sort of looking at it case by case and thinking, can we afford to say no? If we, if we can't afford to say no, let them go. But if you can, I think you just save yourself a job and, and just keep them about. Do you think there's a, any possibility of a of a loan in play for any of them, James? I, I look at Minamino as, as the obvious one in terms of you know, someone else coming in with a with a loan and fee attached and, and taking him off Liverpool's hands for the season. Do you think Liverpool entertain that or they'll want they'll want a sort of definitive answer on what they're doing with the players in sort of my own? Um well particularly in the Minamino case, I'd be surprised if another loan was sanctioned. If it was, it would purely to be to put him in the shot window. So you you saying, let's hope he has a good loan spell and then if he does we can maybe get a bit more from him next summer but it's not going to be alone for development at this stage in his career I think he's 26 um it's it's it will be a strange time to loan him out unless it's for that kind of let's hope he can really up his value kind of way but yeah in that sense I'm sure the club might prefer just a definite answer either way whether that's let's try and integrate him into the squad and make him a bigger part or let's just cash in. I was going to say cut cut the losses, but it probably wouldn't even be a loss because it was such a good deal in the first place on the release clause. Um, so yeah, in that particular case, I'd be surprised at alone. But there, there's a couple of others in the list where you think, well, maybe. Um, ben Davies is obviously such a hard one to discuss because no one's ever seen him play for Liverpool. Um, but um, yeah, that it seems possible that that would be a loan move just because to buy him in January and then sell him in the summer without playing a game, it's, it seems almost almost incomprehensible. So, But equally, he's not exactly going to be playing regularly. So a loan move could make sense there. Even then, it will probably be a case of a loan with a view to selling him next summer. But but yeah, I don't think loans would be the preference in any of these cases, but maybe one or two if a, if a good offer came in, like you say, with a good fee attached, then we could see it. Okay, that's been the Liverpool.com podcast this week. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, do check out Liverpool.com uh, and continue to check out Blood Red for all the content there. Uh, huge thanks to Matt. Huge thanks to James. Uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.